All right, I'm going to do welcome. Welcome to Three Sisters Crime Squad. Yay! Yay. <laughs> We're here. Happy Yay. New Year. <clears throat> what, Karen? I said 15th time's a charm. Right, yeah. right. Let's all hope. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We've had we ran into a lot of issues yesterday. Well, we gave up. We came back today and hopefully all is good. <laughs> what our listeners don't know is that sometimes we're ready to throw in the towel completely because <laughs> we have technical difficulties that we right. just can't do. Right. Yesterday I was it was my fault yesterday and I literally was No, thinking. I'm gonna blame it on the weather, Brooke. I swear. I think it was the bad weather. There was a, a cloud of death hanging over my house or something that was not right. letting any computer work correctly <laughs> after trying yeah. two computers. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was not good. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, uh, we are happy to have everybody back. This is our first episode of the new 2022. As Taylor so, would say, I'm feeling yeah. 22. Yes. All right. You have any news for us, Brooke? I have a little story I can tell. Um, it has a good ending. It starts off very strange. Uh, there was a 19, it's about a 19-year-old college student out of Ephraim, Ephraim, Utah, which yeah. I believe is near Salt Lake. So there's a college there called Snow College, which Karen you like snow, so maybe you should go attend the school. No kidding. Is there a school mascot, the snowflakes, the fighting yeah. snowflakes? I think it should be the polar bears. Ooh. Or the, the abdominal, lakes. The abdominal snowman. I love abominable? it. It's not the abdominal. Abom- <laughs> said, is it? I said abdominal. I don't Abdominal. abdominal. You did say abdominal. <laughs> In my mind, that's not. They got a six pack snowman. (laughs) In my mind, that is not what I said. That's how it came out. (laughs) Anyways, this girl, um, 19 years old, she didn't have a driver's license or anything like that. So she seems kind of, you know, like pretty young. Yeah. 19 years old and no driver's license? There's lots. Yeah. There's a lot. That's crazy. Going on. Um, Anyways, she. Had met somebody online in what they are saying, a chat room, um, which I didn't think chat rooms were still a thing, but I guess you could call those like DMs on Instagram. Yeah. Chat room, you know. Okay. Um, it's probably somebody's grandpa that was a police officer who was like, she was in a chat room. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Where they're calling like Tinder a chat room. Yeah. Something. Oh, anyway, yeah, so yeah. she had met somebody and had actually um arranged to meet this person in person what i can't get from the article is if she knows what the guy's real age was because he is there he is this man is 39 years old her name is madeline allen and she's 19 and this man's name is brent brown um and he is 39 um, so he, maybe she was being catfished or something. Yeah. Correct. I bet I, she didn't know he was 39 because, ew. I kind of believe that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does kind of sound like that. Um, it says that <laughs> she did not show up to a, um, or come home. Uh, she did not return the next day after meeting this man. So her roommates reported her missing. So she went all night before they reported her missing. Um, they, Which that, I think, makes sense. Yeah, in college, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, she yeah. stayed over. you know. Right, right. Like, yeah. Um, once she was reported, re- missing the officers did go through her social media accounts or her computers whatever and did find that this meeting and they went to do quick um investigating and they did find the guy's information um 
and she had been driven 40 miles outside of the town that they were in to a town called Lau, Utah. Um, they enter the home and they find her alive. Oh. But in his basement, naked and um, covered in coal dust. So I don't know if he had a cold. Ooh, either. that's weird. Yeah. Why? Yeah. What? Yeah. I don't know if this is like, I don't, I don't really, I'm not really familiar with Utah and like maybe. Yeah. How. You have like a coal burning country. stove or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. I don't know either. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really. Yeah. I don't know. That seems like a random thing to have coal dust yeah. on you. But maybe it's not. Um, <laughs> so they found they her. Found, yeah, they did. They found her. And what she had said was that once he found out that the police were looking for her, he took her cell phone and destroyed it. He was um, at work when I think all this happened. So he was like just living his normal life. Um, Girl tied up in his basement covered in coal. It's perfectly yeah. so this guy. He's uh, the date of this article was um, right after they had caught her. So they planned on meeting on the 13th and they found her, I think, like almost the very uh, next day. Um, So this all happened around like the week before Christmas. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I did see it on the news a little bit, but. and it, it sparked my interest, and so that's why I wanted, wanted to go read about it. But, yeah. Yeah. Was, I'm glad they found her. Yeah. Yes, because it could have been the other, you know. Yes. Another way around. But, man, there's some awful yeah. people out there. Yes. <gasps> Terrible. I hate it. Yeah. No. Well, we'll have to keep track of that, see what comes of that. Yeah. I'd like to know. I, I'm like, is this the first person he did that to? Have there been others? I know, right? So it's yeah. I read what his charges probably are going to be. Uh, Ellen was eventually located in Holmes' coal room, naked, covered in cold. Um, nine. I'm sorry, it was ninety miles away. Oh wow, really um, far. He was arrested for rape, obstruction of justice, aggravated kidnapping, and object rape. Oh my gosh. This poor that's girl. awful. Poor girl. She's pretty much tortured. I'm sure. Yeah, that's terrible. I hope she gets some help too. Yes. Well, yeah. I, you know, it sounded like her college has a lot of um, great backing. In fact, like they resources. Were, yeah, and they were actually like very active in the investigation. They had surveillance footage that they allowed the police officers to have right away. Okay. Helped get into her accounts. Her good. Accounts. So yeah, I hopefully her school is. Yeah, it sounds like they're on top of it. That's good. Mm-hmm. There was one other news item that I wanted to mention that came out um, here at the end of the year was the the West Memphis Three. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've ever followed that case. So it's yes. a terrible, horrible case of three little um, eight, nine-year-old boys that were murdered. And then three teenage boys were arrested and um, they were they were found guilty and sent to prison. And it's terrible. And they ended up um, doing like an Alfred plea and they got out of prison. And so they've been trying to work to see if they can find who actually did this since they are not truly guilty. And they've been told all along that all of the evidence in the case had been destroyed in a fire. And um, it came out he, like the right before Christmas that they have found all of the evidence and that it was not destroyed in a fire. There was never a fire. So that's really. Lie. Yeah, it was a lie. It, and the the police chief resigned and there was a rumor that he was going to be fired. So um, hopefully we will get to find some answers in that case because, you know, like it's really it's sad, sad that these teenage yeah. boys, yeah, like their lives were ruined. But also these three boys were murdered and nobody's trying to catch their murderer. 
Yeah. So somebody yeah. could be totally free out there. Yeah. So that's another one we're going to be following. I haven't ever covered it. Um, there's a lot of podcasts that have covered it and done mm-hmm. really good jobs. So um, maybe we can make some recommendations later. But um, are we ready? Yeah. Are ready? Okay. So for our first story of the new year, we're going to start out with a survivor. Yay! Yeah. We need a strong lady That's to get good. us started. I told us, I told a survivor, quick little blurb. Yeah, you did. Story. We got a little theme going. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is the story of Nancy Howard. And there's a lot of twists and turns in this story. I first saw this on a Dateline episode <laughs> from October of 2014. And then I started to do some research and I came across an article that is so good. It's so thorough and it is the main source of my information. And I'm going to, I'll give you all the information on that article at the end. Um, So first, let me tell you about Nancy Howard. So her maiden name is Shore and she met, so she's Nancy Shore and she met her husband, Frank Howard in the 1980s. They met at a church function in San Marcos, Texas. Um, Nancy is this sweet little brown haired lady with these crystal blue eyes. She has those gorgeous blue eyes like mom has and Karen too, like those really, really bright blue. Um, Hers are that way. And she also has a very beautiful singing voice. Um, Frank is a, oh yeah, just like you. (laughs) Just kidding. Sorry. We know. I'm honest, I'm a terrible singer, but my grandma told me I should be on American Idol. So. Oh, <laughs> grandma like, loves Gigi. you. <laughs> I always tell Sam whenever he talks in the car, "Stop it! You're interrupting. You're interrupting my concert." <laughs> she did say that, yeah, and he's always like, "Please, please stop! Please stop singing, Mom." Uh, so Frank is this tall, handsome man. He has this very deep and velvety voice. Um, and he also sang in the choir at the church. That's how they met. He, his father is a preacher at the church also. And he had been married for a very brief time while he was in college, but he, um, was divorced by the time that he had met Nancy. I don't have any information on that little tiny short marriage, but it doesn't sound like it was very long. In 1983, Frank and Nancy got married, and two years after their wedding, they had their first daughter, and her name is Ashley, and then a few years later, they have a son named James, and then, not James, Jay, and then they have a daughter named Brianna. So three kids, two girls and a boy, and they're just a typical middle-class family. Frank is an accountant, and Nancy is a stay-at-home mom. And they're pretty active in their kids' lives. They, you know, the kids talk about how their dad was their soccer coach. Their mom helped with the children's theater program at their church. And they taught Sunday school. And they're very devoted Christians also. And they do bring their children up in the Baptist church in Texas. Um, And Nancy sings in the choir. And she is very active in the church when, like, helping with things. And one of her big things is the children's program. So in 2009, Frank gets a job with this very wealthy man named Richard Rayleigh. And he's a man from Colleyville, Texas. They live, they live near like Dallas, Texas. So that, you know, there's like a lot of the suburbs of Dallas that are going to be in this story. So Rayleigh lives in Colleyville, Colleyville, Texas, and He is a multimillionaire, made millions of money as a defense contractor. And this is crazy. He supplied ice to U.S. troops in Iraq. He made millions of dollars supplying ice. Isn't that insane? So Frank starts as a staff accountant in 2009, and he later makes his way up to becoming the chief financial officer in the company. Um, Frank was reaping the rewards of this new position. He was flying around the country and overseas, like on private jets and everything. And, you know, there, he gets to go to like football games and he, you know, they have a suite and they, he just is getting like all these perks of working for this very wealthy man. 
Um, by 2012, we're seeing, you know, Nancy and Frank are entering this like new phase of their life because their children have all grown up. Their daughter, Ashley, is married uh, and Jay was also. And then their youngest daughter, Brianna, was on her way to college in Tennessee. Um, because of Frank's job, Nancy is often home alone. And when Frank was called to be out of town, Nancy would keep herself busy by doing functions at the church. Like I mentioned, she was involved in the children's program and stuff like that. On the day of August 18th, 2012, Nancy was going. um, So on the day of August 18th, 2012, Nancy knew that she was going to be home alone in the evening. That morning, Frank was going to be flying out to Palm Springs, California for a work thing. So he helped Nancy load up some decorations in her car because she had a function that evening. Hold on. I feel like I'm out of breath. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Breathe. Everything ran up the stairs. I did. (laughs) What's happening that I'm out of breath from running up the stairs? seriously it's ridiculous (laughs) what's happening to me (laughs) right okay so he helped her load up the decorations because she had like a women's tea service that she was handling that she was like hosting a table at the tea service um so after that she knew that she had a few hours by herself she then returned to church for in the evening for a baptism service for a family friend she was like standing as one of the witnesses which is really sweet. She left the church at around 7.30 p.m. And she stopped at a Taco Bueno, which I totally want to eat at a Taco Bueno. Go! (laughs) I don't care what it is. (laughs) And she she picks up uh, one of the pot. One of the podcasts I listened to, they didn't know what it was either, but they, they like looked at the receipt and stuff and they were like, I think it's a, like an upscale Taco Bell. And I'm like, sign me up. I'm in in for it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, she stops at Taco Bueno, picks up something for dinner, which was beef fajitas. Yum, yum. And then she heads to her home where she's going to eat her dinner. She pulls into her garage and she gets out of her car with her purse and her Taco Bueno bag. And as she is headed to the door of her house, she feels someone grab her from behind and she was grabbed around her neck. And she then felt a gun put to the back of her head and the person shouted, give me your purse. Um, She said that she was confused and she, you know, like she was shocked and she like jerked herself out of his grip and like turned herself around to face him. And so she sees this young man that she's never seen before. She doesn't know who he is. And he is holding a silver and black gun and aiming it towards her face. And he again demands that she give him her purse. And she says that she panicked and she first hands him the taco bueno bag and she said he like became visibly angry when she did that, but you know, like in her like nervousness, you can have the fajitas, you can have them <laughs> take my fajitas and go. Um, but she said, you know, after she saw that he was getting angry, she shoved her purse towards him. And then she said that she cried out, Lord Jesus, save me. And the man pulls the trigger and shoots her in the face. Oh, I thought this was going to be a happy ending. It is. Okay. So the bullet enters Nancy's head through her left temple and it traveled down through her sinus and her throat and it stops in her light in her right lung, puncturing the lungs so or lung collapses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Down like that. Yep. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so this man then ran away, leaving Nancy to die. Um, she regains consciousness. So she was like immediately out. Oh, hi, sugar booger. (laughs) So she's immediately out. And, um, she, when she first wakes up, she's very disoriented and she doesn't know what to do. She can only see through one of her eyes. Like one of her eyes is blind and she is in excruciating pain. And so she says that she lay there for a few minutes 
And then she says that she heard a voice telling her to get up, get up, Nancy, get up. And she told Dateline that this was God speaking to her. And so she prayed for strength to get up and make it into her house. And so she was able first to to crawl on the floor to her car. And she tried to activate her car's um, emergency system, like kind of like OnStar, Um, but it didn't work. I don't know if it wasn't set up or if she just wasn't hitting the right buttons. I'm not real sure, but she couldn't get it to work. And she knew that she didn't have her cell phone with her because it was in her purse. And so she was, you know, she knew she had to get inside to her landline phone. And somehow she has the strength to crawl through her mudroom in the house. And then she like describes like this army crawl that she's doing, like pulling herself, you know, like with her forearms. Yeah. She gets into um, the doorway of the house and she's able to pull herself up to standing and she turns off the alarm system of the house and she was so proud of herself for remembering the code. But I was like, no. I want to let it go. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, like, but you know I, what, what you think she's like, not thinking straight. Shot in the head. <laughs> right. Right. So she does eventually walk into the main part of her house. Although also, I don't know what kind of alarm system it was. I don't know if it's a monitored alarm system, but so that could be why just turning it off is, is fine. Um, so she does get into the house and she does call nine one one. And I have the 911 call, and I want you to hear it. Okay. So let me bring it up here. It's not bad. I actually, well, I don't know. You'll have to see what you think about it. Okay, here we go. Uh, black and white. 
and with your wallet and stuff in there? Yeah. Did you happen to notice was he wearing gloves? I don't think so. Okay. Okay, I'm going to stop it there. Um, so you can hear there at the end, she's saying, Lord Jesus, help me. Um, she gives, she was actually able to give them a, a decent, pres- I, pres- I started to say prescription, description. I can't later- believe how cog- like cognitive she was. Yeah, yeah, she can, yeah. I know, that's she what I was really awful, surprised but- at. She does. Yeah. You can tell she's definitely in distress. And that 911 operator was awesome. Yeah. She did such a good job. And like throughout the whole call, she, you know, she's like keeping her calm. Like, it's okay. They're on their way. They're coming to get you. I'm going to stay on the line with you. Like, she's really like being really calm and reassuring. Um, so at the end of the call, the police and the paramedics come in and they, you know, get to Nancy and they rush her to the hospital in critical condition. And so they also begin hunting for this man that robbed and shot Nancy. And so she gave the description of um, to the 911 operator and then again to the cops. She said he was young in his 20s. He had a beard and he was wearing a yellow jacket and a black baseball cap. And so in this neighborhood where Nancy and Frank lived, they had had some issues of petty theft, but nothing ever with any sort of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, so the police get in touch with Nancy's family because one of the police officers that arrives on the scene responding to her 911 call actually attends church with Nancy and Frank and he knew their kids. So he calls their daughter, Ashley, the oldest daughter to tell her that her mother had been shot. Mm. And Ashley like first doesn't believe because who would believe somebody like, calling what? to say that Joking your church going or... mother was shot? Like, yeah. right. So she then tries to call her dad who was out of town, uh, but she only gets his voicemail. So um, it turns out yeah. that he is not actually in Palm Springs, which is where Nancy thought he was. Oh, he, it turns out. No. It turns out that he is in Lake Tahoe. He had been at a at a casino and he stepped outside for a break and he noticed the missed call from his daughter. So he um, calls Ashley and when Ashley tells her dad that Nancy had been shot, Frank began, you know, just to cry. He was very upset and he collapses in the casino doorway and he actually needs help to walk back to, I guess, his hotel room. Um, And he is literally frantic to get home to his wife. He drives, uh, I think he ends up driving like three hours to a different airport just to get a flight out that goes, that flies out at 6 a.m. the next morning. So Ashley picks her dad up from the airport and they go straight to the hospital. And Frank even collapses in the hallway at the hospital. Like he is just grief stricken and just sick with worry over Nancy. And at the point that he gets there, they don't know if she's going to live. So, you know, things are very touch and go. Um, Doctors were able to remove the bullet and repair some of the damage that was done. And unfortunately, (laughs) Unfortunately, she did lose one of her eyes and she had a collapsed lung and had to be intubated. So luckily, doctors said that there would be no brain damage. So she was going to survive everything, which is excellent. Uh Um, But while she's intubated, she can't speak to anyone. And so she was trying really hard to communicate with everybody. Like her daughter, Ashley, says, like, if they were talking, like she would like beat on her table to like get their attention And she also knew sign language. So she tried to communicate with them um, using sign language. And she ended up having to like spell things using the ASL alphabet. And her daughters knew the alphabet. So they were able to like write down the letters that she was signing to interpret what she was saying. And the police are like super eager to speak with her. They, they, they're like, we can't wait. We, we need as much information now. The longer we wait, the harder it'll be to find these people. Um, but they did have to wait because she couldn't speak. And so the first day 
after being shot, they do question Frank um, to find any information on who would want to hurt Nancy. And so he like shares with police that Nancy is just this sweet, kind, soft-hearted woman who is always willing to help somebody. She, He said she will help anyone and everyone. And he said it was not unlike her to pick up a hitchhiker. It, um, if she saw, if somebody was asking for money, she would give money to them. She just, she, they said, if you needed help and Nancy was around, she was going to help you. And, um, so they felt like this could maybe sometimes be risky behavior because you don't know who you're, you know, giving a ride to. And so, you know, they, they kind of were questioning, like, is this what happened? Was this guy like somebody that she had picked up and, and he shot her? Um, but you know, they're speculating. And so Frank tells them, you know, like anything you need, I, I want to help. I will help you with anything. They do ask him to turn in his cell phone as part of the investigation. And he willingly hands it over to them. And again, says anything you need, I'm willing to help. I have one quick yeah. question. I have one yes. quick question. She thought he was where? Palm Springs? Florida? In Palm Springs, California. And okay. he was in Reno? Lake Tahoe. Yeah, Lake, North Lake Tahoe, Reno area. So was she just mistaken because she was shot in the head? Or was he doing some canoodling or something weird? Or she was just wrong? We don't know yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So police get a big surprise when they look through Frank's phone and they discover Frank was having an affair. Now oh, we know. That okay. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> the police okay. find thousands of text messages, phone calls, and pictures with a woman that is definitely not Nancy. Not our not our sweet Nancy. Nancy. Yes. Okay. So after this discovery, Frank is forced to come clean to his wife and kids. Oh and so he, he, Nancy is still in the hospital when he tells her this heartbreaking news. But Nancy, beautiful, sweet, kind hearted Nancy is willing to forgive him if he wants to work on their marriage. Even though and Frank... what so he also has to tell each of her kids each of their kids and they love their dad and they vow to support him so frank also assured his wife and children that he had nothing to do with this shooting and And we trust everything frank said right you know a liar never lies so the family tries to rally around each other to help nancy heal from her wounds and also help their parents, you know, fix their parents' marriage. Um, but in the weeks following this terrible admission, it's very clear that he does not want to work on their marriage. And he is continuing to see the other woman. Nancy, however, still believes that Frank was not involved in this attempted murder. She just doesn't believe that he had anything to do with it. And she is so much believing in him that she is actually supporting him when the police arrest him. And she has insisted that it is a mistake and that he was not involved. Okay. So police have security footage from the church and the Taco Bueno, and they're able to follow Nancy's movements from the day of the shooting. So they watch... They watch a silver car, a silver Nissan, follow Nancy out of the church parking lot and then again out of the Taco Bueno. So, yes, and the car had followed Nancy to her house. And so since this looked like an attempted murder in the process of robbery, Police looked at all reports of burglaries and traffic stops from the area, and they find a report of a traffic stop about two weeks before the attempted murder of Nancy. And it's two men in a silver Nissan, and they're pulled over in the same neighborhood where Nancy and Frank live. And 
there the cop wrote in the report that the two men seemed very very nervous and they told the officers originally that they were looking for their uncle's house and then they say well he's not really our uncle he's just a family friend and his name is john and so then one of the men says that they were hitman hitmen hired to kill a man's wife and these two men, their names are Dustin Hiram's and Jason Rendine. And they were taken to the Carrollton police station. And the police officers think that this whole story <clears throat> of being a hitman is like because they're high on meth. And I say, so she's out. Yeah. So, that? <laughs> yeah. So the officers like, I, I don't know what this is, but I don't know who would hire two meth heads to kill their wife. Um, so they then let the two people go the next day. So now the detectives that are, um, I want to say detecting the attempted murder, (laughs) (laughs) investigating the attempted murder. (laughs) They're detecting. (laughs) The two detectives, they track down Dustin and they bring him back to the Carrollton police station. And over the next three days, they question him. And Dustin gives them everything that he knows about this murder for hire plot. And while Dustin is being interrogated, they were also told that there's an inmate named Billy Earl Johnson, who also claimed to have information about the shooting and wanted to talk. So Billy Earl tried to play hardball and say that he isn't going to give them any information unless he gets a deal on his other charges. But the um, investigators are like, and no, you will tell us what you know, or you will be in big trouble. (laughs) So Billy Earl tells investigators that in July of 2009, he had just gotten out of prison and he was crashing on a girlfriend's couch and he gets a phone call from a number he does not recognize on his cell phone. And this man tells him his name is John. And he said that he was told that Billy was a man that he could hire to kill his wife. Billy Earl saw this as an opportunity to bankroll his life. And he tells investigators that he never intended to kill anyone. He just wanted money and that he basically strung this man along getting as much money as he possibly could out of him. So they make plans to meet and he and John meet in a parking lot at Shepler's Western Ware store in Mesquite, Texas. And he says, John pulls into the parking lot in a silver Lexus and Billy Earl got into the passenger side and John handed him a brown envelope with $60,000 cash. He also gave Billy a picture of Nancy and told him to make it look like an accident. At their second meeting, John paid Billy Earl $35,000. And Billy says that he spent this money on drugs and spending sprees, just buying anything that he wanted. And <laughs> during this time frame, Billy was arrested for possession at some time, at some point, And he actually calls John and John bails him out of jail. So Billy Earl also asked a friend of his named Charlie Louderman if he could get him some guns. And Billy also offered him $700 a week to act as a bodyguard and a runner. So Charlie witnessed all of Billy Earl's misadventures over the next few years, and he was often with Billy when it was time to pick up money, and that was always large sums of cash. And Charlie says at one point he was holding about $83,000 in cash, and he had it in the floorboards of his bedroom. And so he then breaks up with Billy Earl and says, I don't. I don't want to be a part of this when he finds out that all of this money is um, for a hitman contract on killing a church lady, which is what Charlie called her. And he said he didn't want to be involved in killing a church lady. And um, he, Charlie also fears that John may be an undercover police officer. Cause he's like, this is, this is weird. This is too weird. This guy's giving you all this money. 
So Charlie says there were several different plots on how to kill Nancy. Um, John always wanted it to look like an accident. So he pushed like a burglary angle, telling Billy Earl that his house had about $40,000 in jewelry that Billy Earl could keep if he kills Nancy and then robs the house. Um, He also suggested setting the house on fire to cover their tracks. And John also had a favorite suggestion of following Nancy to lunch with her friends where they regularly met at a certain restaurant. He said, you can shoot Nancy and then spray some bullets around the crowd to confuse the police and make it look more like a mass shooting and not a targeted act. This guy's terrible. Diabolical. He doesn't care about killing innocent people. Like, Nancy's innocent, too, but he's he doesn't care about collateral damage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He also gave uh, Billy Earl an address where Nancy was going to be going on a scrapbooking retreat. Isn't that so sweet? I mean, she's so sweet. Didn't deserve this, that's for sure. No. So for three years, Billy Earl and his friends extort money out of John. Every time they have a plan that John agrees to, something happens to cause the plan to fail. Billy has tons of excuses. Um, He says his girlfriend Stacy slowed them down. They were all too wasted to leave the hotel room. They got arrested and were in jail. And just there's always an excuse and these plans never work out. With each new plan, Billy asks for more money. At one of the cash drops, Billy Earl's girlfriend, Stacy, um, her name, he, she's actually Dustin's mom. And she snaps a photo of the man calling himself John. And she sends it to her mother saying, if, some, <laughs> if something happens to me, I want insurance. So she says that John seems like a very nice and well-mannered man. Uh, John uses burner phones the entire time, and he also then begins delivering money to Billy through wire transfers. And Billy and Stacy don't have bank accounts, so they have to recruit their family members to open up accounts for transfers to go into, and they give each person a fee of 10 to 20%. So over two, the course of two years, John transfers seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars which is also in addition to what he had given them in cash ridiculous and money that he used bailing them out of jail so they estimate that he paid over a million dollars to get rid of his wife yeah so by 2012 what were they very very rich I mean, well, he was a CFO. He was a chief financial officer. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So by 2012, John is getting impatient. And in May, John and Billy Earl meet at a Bass Pro Shop in Grapevine, Texas. And Billy Earl's girlfriend, Stacy, and her son, Dustin and Michael tag along. And during this meeting, John tells the group that Nancy would be traveling to San Marcos. And if they kill her on this trip, he would pay them $100,000 plus $5,000 a week for the rest of their lives. And Billy was mad. Yeah. Billy was mad that these other people were involved in this plot because he wanted the money for himself. So before they are able to get this plan off the ground, though, Billy and Stacy get arrested and put in jail. And John tells them that he doesn't have any money to bail them out. So while Billy and Stacy sit in jail, Dustin, who is Stacy's son, he was on his own for the first time in his life. And he begins to contact John on his own. And first he tries to get bail money for his mom. And again, John says, I don't have the money to pay for that. And so then John says, why don't you just kill her? So John meets with Dustin and gives him $24,000 in cash. And he told Dustin that Nancy would be at the Gaylord Texan Hotel 
for a Mothers of Preschoolers convention. And he told Dustin to use a baseball bat. And this money doesn't last. Dustin spends it on meth and crap. And within two weeks, he is broke. I am sorry. I cannot spend $24,000 in two weeks. I mean, maybe if I was buying like way more expensive stuff, but come on. If you gave me a like competition to do it. Yeah, I could do it. But yeah, the right. mental like I could probably oh, I've got my whole house. house. Yeah, I'm like oh yeah, I can do that. But yeah, uh, the mental thought of I've got right thousand dollars and in two weeks I'll have none would make right. me sick. Right. <laughs> so Dustin calls John and asks for more money, and John tells him that he will leave money behind the water meter of a house that he owns, and it's on that trip to pick up the money that Dustin is pulled over. So now the police want to know who John is. And Stacy's mother provides the picture that she had taken. Uh, she gives it to the police. And guess what? John is Frank. Yes. <laughs> Did we think it was anyone else? I don't think nope. so. <laughs> so In fact, I thought John yeah, mentally changed his kill, name to John. How would Who would give that much money to kill the church lady? For right. No reason? Right. Right. So John Frank Howard, three first names, clearly a red flag. And so Frank. Oh, so his name is John. Yes. I was going to say, well, I already changed it to that. Yeah. 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 Frank is a monster. I can't even with him. He is. I just. He. he, I I can't. (laughs) I can't even know what you. 2009 he started planning this in 2009 it is 2012 for three years he is living with this woman while actively planning her death like who does that who does that to keep up like a good you know person yes he's this good man and oh he makes me so mad to his children divorce would have been cheaper uh yeah well, What'd you say? I said a divorce might have been cheaper. Right. Right. You know, oh, but this is that whole thing about, well, you know, divorce is looked on, looked bad on. But murder but isn't? Murder is not. <laughs> oh, definitely yeah. not. And I'm like, nervous. this man who was collapsing and weeping at the news yeah. of his wife, collapsing in grief the way that he was and making he was making these plans like this. Like he doesn't even care. He wanted to actually kill bystanders. Okay. So police found that Frank was actually talking to nine different people in this plot to kill his wife. How stupid are you? (laughs) So after John refuses to bail out Billy and Stacy, Dustin had contacted him for more money and um, I lost my place. Oh, so Dustin contacts him for more money. Another person named Michael Speck, and this is Billy Earl's nephew. So there's like, I'll have, I have a chart of all these people and how they're all connected. It's like a son of the girlfriend, the cousin or nephew. I mean, they're all, it's crazy how they're all connected. Um, So Michael Speck, he is Billy Earl's nephew. He contacted John and said he would do the job. So on August. Everybody wants in on the money. I know. Everybody's like, give me some money. So Michael, on August 14th, Michael sent $1,000 to an old cellmate named Michael Lawrence. So now we have two Michaels. Okay. We have Michael Speck and Michael Lawrence. And he brings his girlfriend, Misty Ford, along. So they drive Misty's Honda into the Dallas area and then rented a silver Nissan. Misty says that the two Michaels then left the hotel room on what they called a sightseeing and side jobs mission. And when they return, Lawrence begins drinking and Misty says that he definitely was acting very different. And she said that he barely spoke, which was out of the norm for him. And finally, after a few days, he broke down and told her that he had murdered someone. He said that he had shot a woman in the face 
And Misty says that she left the hotel and Michael stayed behind. She immediately was like, I don't want to be anywhere near you. And they were engaged at the time. And she eventually broke off the engagement and she didn't want to have anything to do with him. Um, So she said that she was worried that he would do the same thing to her. So I'm going to quote the article that I read because this statement is too perfect. So it says, um, John wanted his wife dead. So he called Billy. Billy had a nephew named Michael who did time with another Michael last name Lawrence. And it appears that it was the second Michael who was at long last did John's bidding. So this crazy like daisy chain of people and how they're all connected. He finally got somebody, somebody to murder his wife for a thousand dollars. He spent over a million and he could have gotten away with it for only a thousand, but whatever. Mm. So how did Frank find Billy? Because they're not connected in any way. I mean, they don't even live in the same city. Um, So when Billy had gotten out of prison in 2009, he started working at a company called Van Tone and the company makes powdered flavorings. So I think it's like this, like the stuff that's on like Cheetos and Doritos and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think I'm not exactly sure. Um, but some sort of flavoring. So Billy had begun harassing a woman who worked in the office there and she was very scared of him. And Frank was the accountant for this company. And she, I guess at one point like says like, I'm so scared of this guy that is like harassing me. And he's like, I'll take care of it. So he starts asking around and gets Billy's number from somebody at the company and he makes the deal with him to kill his wife. And he says, I want you to leave this woman at Van Tone alone. And so Billy agrees. So people who know Frank Howard are completely shocked by all of this. Like they just are like, there is no way that he did this. Um, they all say he was he was very trustworthy. He's a good Christian man. And um, Nancy told Dateline that the courtroom was packed with supporters for Frank at the bond hearing. And while Frank was out on jail, Nancy had even written to the court asking for the conditions of Frank's bail to be relaxed so he could attend his daughter's wedding. And Frank walked Brianna down the down the aisle. Um, which I'm like, Nancy, you're yeah. so sweet, but come on. So in August of 2014, Frank went went to trial. And at this time that the trial came, the family was very divided. Um, Frank's family was on one side and Nancy on the other. And so the trial is completely insane. There are 10 different attorneys investigators, dozens of witnesses, motel managers, phone experts, even the 911 operator. And Nancy did take the stand to talk about um, the state of her marriage and saying that she had actually felt this shift between her and Frank around 2009 when he had brought on a new client. So the prosecution also called Stephanie Leontief to the stand and she tells the court about her three-year affair with Frank. Um, Suzanne was a dental hygienist in her fifties. She lived in Santa Cruz, California, and she's a single woman with two daughters. She met Frank in July of 2009. Nancy was in Africa on a church missions trip with her daughter, Brianna. And Frank was gambling at a table in a casino and, called Harvey's and Suzanne had sat down next to him and he told her he was in touch for or in town for business and they ran into each other several times over the night and hit it off by Sunday they exchanged numbers and Suzanne knew Frank was married but he had told her that their marriage was a loveless was a loveless marriage and it was on the rocks which I want to be like well then get out and come Mm -hmm. see me when you're out but not before Um, he told her that he was not happy and he had been miserable for years and Suzanne and Frank began texting and talking on the phone regularly then at that point. And then they began meeting up and Frank actually named 
three of the corporations that he created for moving Richard Rayleigh's money around after Suzanne, including one called SLH, as in Suzanne Leontief Howard, is which would be her name if they were married. So they continued seeing each other every few weeks, but um I just saw something. I was I was gonna say this wasn't just booty calls, but I typed booby calls. <laughs> um, I mean, you're so, right. So he paid money for softball tournaments for Suzanne's daughter, who was she played softball like a travel softball team. He also paid for Suzanne's oldest daughter to go to college. This he bought. He bought a $30,000 boat, and in 2010, they bought a house in Santa Cruz. He paid $900,000 in cash. They also had a $380,000 condo in Lake Tahoe, and he provided Suzanne with $500,000 cash. And Suzanne Nancy also- doesn't know about any of this? Nope. Oh, my. Suzanne also attended a football game, like football games like Dallas Cowboys games, with Frank watching from the the suite that he had bought for them. And so he took Suzanne and her daughters to baseball games. They went on vacations in the Bahamas. I mean, he did everything. They were acting like they were a family. Frank also started an IRA for Suzanne, and he moved money around so that she would have money for insurance. Um, Suzanne was also on the payroll of Richard Rayleigh's company. And even though she didn't work, she didn't lift a dime or lift a finger for the company, for the company. So, but by 2012, Suzanne has grown tired of hearing Frank say that he's unhappy. Okay. So she's tired of him saying that he's unhappy and that he wants out of his marriage. And so she pushes him to leave his wife. Um, Frank's defense attorneys mounted a defense that Frank was being blackmailed and that none of the prosecution witnesses were credible. They said that, um, oh, all three of their children testified on behalf of their father, which to me is a slap in the face that they sided with this garbage man. Like what? You said he got to walk the daughter down the aisle. I just don't understand that. But yeah, obviously, I, I just want to be like, you kids are garbage. You are garbage. Your mother was shot in the face because and, of him. They know all these things. They know about the secret. Yeah, but they don't think it's houses. true. Well, that they is heard all of the trial. Yeah. I yeah. If I could get a hold of them, I would slap them in the faces because I would say you are well, disgraced. I, just, I need an explanation on why you believe that. Yeah. Yeah. So they sat on their dad's side of the courtroom, leaving Nancy alone. And after three a three-week trial, the jury deliberated for two hours, and they came back with a guilty verdict. A few weeks later, at the sentencing hearing, Frank's boss, Richard Rayleigh, took the stand and told the jury that over a three-year period, Frank had systematically embezzled $30 million oh, from him. Yes. Oh, I was and a represented what? That was a lot of money. Like yeah, out. That makes sense. Yeah. So a representative from the Van Tone company also testified that he had stolen money from them, but they didn't disclose the amount. So it was probably in the millions. He's a bad, bad man. Yes. Nothing redeeming. So the prosecution concluded that Frank had to kill his wife. Because a divorce would expose all of these financial crimes. Um, Frank was sentenced to life in prison. And he has since lost all of his appeals. Yes. Yay. Finally. (laughs) My Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So Nancy's three children left the courtroom outraged. They did not even say goodbye to her. Garbage. Garbage people. I'm so irritated with them. So Nancy did lose her eye and she wears a prosthetic now and, but she is not bitter. She's so sweet. She's such a lovely woman. And she, she praises the Lord and says that he saved her and he brought her through this awful thing. 
and she does have a very strained relationship with her children. Um, she says, it's very complicated. I raised them to love, honor, and respect their dad, and they do. And that is it. So Nancy has written a book called The Shooting of Nancy Howard, A Journey Back to Shore. Which, remember, her maiden name is Shore. Yes. Oh. So I was like, that is such a sweet little title. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hate her garbage husband and her garbage children. So I do want to give my sources. Um, the This article is called How Not to Get Away with Murder. And it was <laughs> written by Michael J. Mooney. And it was on a website called D Magazine. And it is incredible. I mean, he had everything. I had to look up a few things on like Wikipedia and some other things. But for the most part, all of the information came straight from that article. And then I also watched the Dateline episode. It's called The Carrollton Plot, if you want to li- if you want to watch it. It's very good. So that is our survivor lady. Uh, welcome Yay, to the squad, to- Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. We'll be yeah. your daughters. Yes. Right. Yes. I, that is crazy. I feel bad for her that not only did she lose the trust and whatever of her marriage and her yes. spouse but somebody that she thought would never do something like this to her but her kids that's, yes. that's hard that's that's what I find so hard like he is garbage and he is disgusting and I'm outraged by him like planning this while he's living with her like I don't know how you can actively plan someone's death but well, then live life with them like I just don't I can't act, act and act just yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then on top of it, your children side with him. Well, her statement that says that she raised them to love and respect their father. She raised them to love and respect the father they thought he was. Right. right. He's not that person. He doesn't deserve love and respect. Yeah, right. you're right. You're right, He's Brooke. not the person that she would have raised. Yeah her kids right. too you know no way yeah she didn't raise them to love and respect john but she raised them to love and respect frank mm-hmm. right that's true but she's yeah. taking the amazing high road yes she is that's one of my favorite dateline episodes whenever it's on i watch it and yeah. Oh. so yeah funny. yeah oh, yeah and she does cute. have these like dazzling blue eyes they're very beautiful well, you know, I like I, I like that she has her faith, but I don't. I do want to say she seems a little bit in denial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did feel that way a little bit too. Like I wanted to be like, "It's Wake okay. Up. You are allowed to say something yes. is bad. Yeah, yeah. You are you are allowed to call somebody out on their bad behavior. Yes, I. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate her faith and all, but <laughs> yeah, and you can forgive them. <laughs> You can. you can forgive somebody for their bad behavior, but That's you're right. also allowed to say it is bad. That's right. You're not I supposed to steal thirty to million dollars. Remind no. when she was shot and he, she was laying there, and she heard a voice or you know somebody uh-huh. just get up. Just get. there. We did another. I survived where a yeah. person had that same. I'm just. I just feel like. When something tragic like that might happen to you, you might have this weird piece or something that like comes over you to tell you what to do. And mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm so thankful that she was able to tune into that. And yeah. 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 I just, it reminded me of another I survived that we had. Yeah. About, but I can't remember which one. I don't remember if it's a pregnant Yeah. Girl. It's okay. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think you did that get one. Get up. This is not how we're dying. Get up. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to die like this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good. You have a bad, hey. bad guy, Karen? Do you guys? Yeah, I do. Are you ready for this? Okay. Yeah. Uh, a man pawns jewelry at a store managed by the woman he robbed. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. A Florida oh. man chose to pawn stolen jewelry at a store managed by the woman 
whose home he just robbed. <gasps> that is awesome. Some, this is from Odyssey, the Odyssey online. Uh, it says, some criminals are just dumb. Others have incredibly bad luck. 33-year-old Nathaniel Coleman of Emocali, Florida, is the latter. He pulled off what seemed like a successful home robbery and made off with thousands of dollars of jewelry, but then made the cosmically doomed accident of trying to pawn off the stolen goods at the store managed by the woman who owned the home he had just robbed. <laughs> Oh, well, she's like, this, this bad is familiar. Coleman walked into Maryland's boutique on the 200 block of West Main Street in Emma Cali on Monday, according to the Naples Daily News. He showed the store manager the goods he was looking to sell, but then the woman realized they were suspiciously identical to items from her own jewelry collection. If you ever doubted karma, just read this story. Karma was definitely like, don't worry, girl, I got you with this woman. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That is great. That that is is so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It's like, it's (laughs) unbelievable. I mean, obviously he didn't know. I mean, or he didn't know. Right, right. I don't think he knew. Yeah. He he took that's the jewelry in the same town that he robbed. Yeah, that that should never. Yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't you say that. They that. said he's from there, and her store is there. I guess that doesn't mean. Okay, anything. so here's what I was gonna say. <laughs> he probably saw like a box or a bag that said that it was like Michael's Pawn Shop or whatever the name of it was, and he was like, "Oh, hey, that's where I'm gonna take this stuff." <laughs> <laughs> You mean he saw the bag in her house? <laughs> yeah, in her house, right. He saw the name on a box and was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that place was there. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly, you guys. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's funny. Me for the bad guys. I know. I, I need to go eat my baked potato now. Aw, <laughs> right. I gotta go. Drink some water. Okay. Oh yeah. All right. This is a good one. Yeah. All right. Good job, sis. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. Bye.